What is the measure of a man? What does it mean to lead a life well lived? I often thought about those questions, and with the help of John Assetti, I had the opportunity to explore them through John's amazing life. John is spry and vibrant at the age of 93, and I met him after he had published his seventh book at age 92. As I got to know John and his life story, I wanted to share this amazing and inspiring journey, which began in Niagara Falls in the 1930s, to his current life in the hill country of Texas. Overcoming an humiliating childhood incident at age eight, John was the first in his family to go to college, served in the Air Force, became a teacher, a principal, and retired from his first career. In his second career, He and his wife traveled internationally and ended up in Kerrville, Texas, where John began yet another career as an author. Join me on this most fascinating journey from last to first with John Assetti. In this first episode, The Childhood Trauma. So, John Assetti, we are here to tell your story. Could you tell us... um, Where were you born and where did you grow up? Thank you, Fred. Appreciate the opportunity to to share um, my personal story. Um, I was born in the year 1930 in the beautiful city of Niagara Falls, New York. And uh, I had some very happy days as a youngster uh, with my parents, who were wonderful people. And I had two older brothers and one younger sister. And I remember many of those days um, that were great. And of course, I was very naive at that point, and I didn't know what was going on in the community or the world. I was just concerned about going to school and and out playing, and that's what I did. I played a lot uh, after school. Changed clothes, went out and played. And however, when I reached the, the third grade, that changed my life completely. Well, we're gonna get to that in a minute, but before we get to that incident and that event, uh, when Americans, or probably anyone in the world, hears Niagara Falls, they think of the falls. But there's a town there. Could you tell us what was the town like then? How big was it? Was it just a classic small town New York? Or did the tourism industry make it something different? All right. Niagara Falls has had quite an interesting history. And we've had nearly you know, millions of people that would come to visit throughout the year. Especially late spring, all summer long, early fall. It was just a madhouse with people down at the falls. Now, I think the best time to see the falls is in the wintertime because that's when you have a lot of snow on the ground, a lot of mist in that water that's up in the sky, and there's a lot of ice on the branches of the tree, and as you walk by, you hear the noise of them, of the limbs, tree limbs breaking. And, and it's absolutely gorgeous, especially if you enjoy photography. 
Niagara Falls was a large city at one time because of the industry. A lot, a lot of different kinds of industry there. And, um, oh, there must have been maybe close, oh, over 100,000 people at one time. Now it's down quite a bit from my speaking with relatives there. And, but it's still a very pretty city to go and see because there's a lot to see there. I'll give you a couple of examples. There is a native museum there that is just beautiful to go and see about Native American Indians. Uh, I always enjoy that. There's a power plant near Niagara Falls to see how they operate the power in order to get power from the, from the falls. And a lot of people go over to Canada. Now, the view from Canada, of course, is, is gorgeous because you have a much broader view of the falls. But if you're on the American side, you can go down the elevator down to the bottom of the falls and look up at Niagara Falls as well as Horseshoe Falls. And it's just awesome to be there. Now, when I was a, a young teenager, I, I wanted to make some money, and so I shined shoes. And I used to walk from my house three miles away down to Niagara Falls in order to shine the shoes of tourists. And I loved it. I was on my own, no problems. I had lunchtime, I would go buy a, a hot dog and buy a drink, soft drink, and I would go down and sit next to the falls. It's just a dream. And it was just gorgeous. The weather was nice, a lot of friendly people. But the beauty of the falls will live with you forever, and it has with me. I have very fond memories of it. Tell us about your dad and your mom and dad, and what did your dad do when you were growing up in Niagara Falls? Well, dad, actually, dad was a very fascinating person. He saved my life, by the way. And my dad was born in Boston, Massachusetts. And when he was two years old, his mother took him back to Italy, where she was from. And then he came back to Niagara Falls when he was 16 years old. And now dad didn't have a chance to get an education because he had to go out and work after, actually he left school at third grade. And he had to, he had to go out and work to help his mom buy food. Uh, so he ended up being a, a laborer. And he worked with businesses like uh, concrete, laying concrete, carpentry, those kinds of things. And so although he was, he was not educated, uh, his experiences that he had in life made him a wonderful person. And he was my idol. He was my role model. Uh, my mom, now, she uh, was born in Niagara Falls. And her parents were uh, people that were, um, they, they used to bring their, their produce, bananas and grapes and pears and apples and sell them in the market. And so she used to help go there and help her parents. And she only left, she only was there until sixth grade for education because she said she had to help her parents. And, but a loving mother, friendly mother, um, she was my idol as a teacher. She taught me a lot. 
What were the names and ages of your brother and sister? Brothers and sister. What were their ages? Names and ages. Oh, names and ages. Well, my oldest brother uh, was Joe, or Joseph, and he has passed away at uh, 64 years of age. Our second brother was Sam, or Samuel. He, he died uh, when he was about 70. And a younger sister, five years younger than me, and she, she, just, she just barely got out of high school, but she graduated. So I had no role models when I was growing up. Education was important because my parents used to always encourage me, John, go to school, go to school, get an education, otherwise you could end up like me. And you don't want to do that. It's all hard work. Use your brain. Go to school. Study. Uh, and, of course, it didn't have much meaning when I was a kid. But then after I got to college, then it had a lot of meaning to me. And now my dad, when I was about 16 years of age, I wanted to get a job. And I asked him, I said, Dad, I said, i got to have a job. He said, what for? He said, you're going to school. He said, I said, well... I would like to get a. I like. To, I need to make some money because I want to. I want to buy a car. And he says, "Well, why do you want to buy a car? Because you just walk to school and walk back home, and that's it." I said, "My dad, I want to buy a car because I want to chase girls." And he had a smirk on his face that I knew I made a mistake saying something like that. And he said, "Well, give me a couple days and let me think about it." And um, so. What the end result was that uh, on the third day, he said, John, are you still, are you still serious about working? I said, oh, absolutely. He said, I have a job. If you're, we start tomorrow. I said, okay. And we had to walk a couple of miles to get to a place. And he was in construction, as I said. And there was a large building frame where we went to. There was nothing inside done. And there was a huge pile of rocks to the ceiling. He said, you see that shovel over there? I said, yep. He said, well, get it. And he had a shovel. And so we said, he said, you have to, we start, have to start shoveling these rocks and lay it all flat all over the land. And I said, sure, Dad, no problem. I'm very strong at that point, you know, and not very smart. So I shoveled rocks all day long. Got home, and I didn't even get up to the kitchen. I, I fell asleep at the stairs going upstairs, didn't even have anything to eat, and went to bed. Woke up the following morning, okay, Dad, let's go to work. And we went to work the second day, same thing happened. Got home and tried to walk up the three steps, just sat on the step and fell asleep. And then when I got up about nine, it went right to bed. So Wednesday morning, we get up again. And I worked for a half day, and I, said, I thought about it while I was shoveling rocks for almost two and a half days. I said, Dad, I says, I think I made a decision. I think I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to college. I'm not really worried about the money for a car and chasing girls now. And he had a smile on his face. And boy, that, that stayed with me all my life, and still now stays with me. And... 
and I went to school. And when I went to college, now I was I was a very naive and very young person. I, I shouldn't have been there. Well, John, but, before we uh, we go into that story, yeah. how about we go back to the incident in the third grade? Oh, yeah, sure. That's been a pretty yeah pretty big event for you in your life. Yes. And so, why don't you just tell us that story? All right. It's a story that. Uh, that left an impact on me, and still does till today, but I have been able to handle it without any problems today as a mature person. I remember in third grade, uh, I, was, I had to go to the bathroom, and I asked my teacher permission to go to the bathroom. She said, not now, no. We're reading. I said, okay. So while I'm sitting there and squeezing my legs, because, man, I really have to go to the bathroom, uh, I asked her a second time, ma'am, I need to go to the bathroom. Can I go to the bathroom, please? When we finish reading, you can go to the bathroom. Okay. Well, they kept on reading, and all of a sudden she asked some students to go up in front with their books, reading books, and then she called me, too. And we each had to take turns reading. Well, there was no way I could ask her the third time because I couldn't hold it, and I peed my pants in front of the room. And there was just a lot of water on the floor, urine on the floor. And the first kid in the front row saw it, and all of a sudden he told the rest of the kids, and oh, man, they all came up and said, Hey, John Peter's pants, John Peter's pants. I was so embarrassed. I I could have I could have died. And I hated school as a result of that. But I was very naive and very immature also at that point. So the teacher took me into the, the, the cloakroom. She said, I'm so sorry. I said, yeah. She said, why don't you go home? Because I lived about two blocks away. And you get changed and come back. And I didn't, I didn't even agree with her. I just left the school. Went home, and my mom said, what are you doing home? I says, I peed my pants. Oh, well, why don't you get in the shower and wash up, clean up, and we'll have some lunch together, and I'll have your favorite dessert, Johnny. Johnny. Oh, okay. And I said, is it lemon, lemon meringue pie? She said, yeah. Oh, my God, that's great, Mom. Thanks, man. They lifted my spirits up. So I changed Took a shower, changed, went to the kitchen table, and there was this huge piece of lemon meringue pie. Man, she was smart. Oh, man, was she smart. She said, okay, I'm going to have you eat. Well, before you eat, I want you to tell me the whole story, what happened in school from beginning to end. And I know you're going to tell the truth. I said, oh, yes, Mom. So I told the whole story about asking the teacher twice to go to the bathroom. And she said, no. And that's, I couldn't hold it anymore, so I peed my pants. She said, well, that's interesting. So it's not your fault then. And I said, well, what do you mean it's not my fault? I peed my pants. But it's not your fault. Well, why, do you, why, are you, why are you asking? And she said, well, the teacher said no twice, so it's not your fault. It's the teacher's fault. She should have let you go to the bathroom when you had to go to the bathroom. And that, that triggered something in me. And actually, I, I, went, I went down psychologically down 
in the basement in my life at that point because I, uh, I was so embarrassed by the kids. But when she told me it was not my fault that you'll get through this, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's the teacher's fault because you asked her not once but twice to go to the bathroom and she wouldn't let you go. And I don't understand why she said that. I would have let you go the first time. Not not, not say no twice. Well, that, that reassured me. That really helped me a great deal psychologically over the years. But from third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, those kids let me have it before school, during school, and after school. And what can I do? Fight them? Punch them? Hit them? Get a stick or a rock and kill them? No, I couldn't do that. But I did a lot of thinking during that process. And I began to analyze. I became a professional analyzer. I began to analyze what's going on here in my life. Why, why do I feel so terrible? Why are kids doing this? Why did the teacher do it? Why did my mother tell me it's not my fault? Why, why am I worried about it? And I struggled with that for four or five years. And then seventh and eighth grade, well, it really affected me even more because when you get to seventh and eighth grade, man, kids are terrible, by the way. But I don't blame the kids. This is normal for them. They don't know any better. And so they let me have it too. Well, before we get to seventh and eighth grade, I want the audience to know you've told this story today, 80 some odd years after it happened, like it happened yesterday. That's correct. And it's still not in the back of your mind, in the front of your mind. Absolutely. And it traumatized you then, but you used it and learned from it and grew from it. And I guess... Maybe to end this episode, I would ask you to think about how you were able to use an event like that that happened to you. I was eight years old in the third grade. Uh, So something not simply that long ago, but when you were that young, you still use it today. What what does did that event overcoming that event, the professional analyzer you became and your mother's words? What does all that mean to you? today as we end this podcast? Well, one thing is that um, I think everyone goes through these difficult times in life like I did. Uh, and we have, to, we have to learn to cope with all that. And we have, to, we have to keep asking ourselves, why is this happening? And why aren't teachers aware that kids have normal um, problems that need to be handled? That that bothered me the most because I became a teacher, <laughs> and that's a big story in itself. And that's where I where I utilized that incident to help me with students in my when I taught. Well, John, this has been a great episode. Thank you so much. I look forward to continuing this conversation in our next episode. Thank you so much, Fred. 
This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode one of From Last to First, the John Assetti story. It's been my privilege to work with John on this project. He has used it to jumpstart his autobiography, which will be coming out in the next month or two, and I will certainly let you know when that happens. We've linked to John's author page on Amazon.com in the show notes, so check out some of the great books by John Assetti. From Last to First, the John Assetti Story is a special production of the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network.